folks, welcome to another podcast for Radio Stockton Heath. We're not really a radio station, as you know, and we're not just about Stockton Heath. I'm sometimes asked why this humble little podcast is called Radio Stockton Heath if it's not really a radio station, and it's not just about Stockton Heath. I thought about this for a moment after I returned from putting petrol in the car from a shell garage. I thought more about it as I browsed Amazon before looking at the Apple website. Anyway, with that in mind, I'm occasionally emailed or tweeted messages asking me to feature something or other on my next radio show and get asked, when is it on? Hmm. Anyway, this week, I've had a few conversations with people about the villages to the south of Warrington, especially Stockton Heath, as it happens in this case. I've had a few conversations this week, as I say, about Stockton Heath. Seeing as it's this time of year that Creamfields is about to begin its annual bank holiday weekend rain dance. Do you know, as much as I like music, I've never actually been to Creamfields. I've nothing against it. In fact, I don't know much about it. To be honest, I wasn't even aware it was just a DJ dance festival until recently. I don't dismiss Creamfields from my life because I'm an old codger that likes moaning about dance music. I've never been to it, simply because I don't like the grotty inconvenience of a festival and getting covered in mud for days. Ironically, I know that makes me sound like a bit of a stick in the mud, but that's life, as the French say. And it was with those thoughts in mind that on what could be possibly the last hot day of August that I sat outside Stockton Heath's Red Lion on a warm summer's evening looking up at a red full moon that so often predicts a week of bad weather if it follows a silver moon the night before. So sitting outside the pub and within the reverberant walls of the Red Lion and the mulberry tree across the road I sat and talked over a beer with a mate about Creamfields and how it was originally sold to local residents and businesses as a festival that would boost the local economy. So, under that blood-red full moon, I talked first to my mate Tom, the first of two different Toms in this podcast, and then, acting on his suggestion, I moved inside to talk to Tony, the landlord, to get his view on it. Now, rather stupidly, I placed my audio recorder next to an air conditioning unit that blew blasts of air into the microphone, so I've had to filter out the low-frequency rumble. Anyway, here's part of my conversation with my mate Tom, first of all, and then, moving inside the red line, as I say, briefly talking to Tony, the landlord. Red moon, lots of rain. Silver moon last night. Red up today. And in about 10 days time, your favorite time of year, Creamfields. I'm gonna show my naivety and say, I didn't even know Creamfields was a dance festival. I just thought it was a music festival. I didn't realize it was just all DJs, which kind of makes sense, because when I hear it from the garden, all I hear is DJs all through the night. Well, perhaps not all through the night, but, but they sold it to us. It's a, it, was a, it was a Liverpool club, from what I know, which isn't very much. It was a Liverpool club called Cream. Have you ever heard of it? Do you know that? I mean, I didn't know that. Yeah, I knew that, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Right, well, it's well, been somewhere in Liverpool, didn't we? Yeah, and it got more and more popular. So then they decided to do a festival. And the first one was in Winchester, down the road from my uncle's house. And I happened to have been down at my uncle's place when that first festival was on. And I remember him telling me about it at the time. Oh, it was a bloody festival down the road and all that sort of stuff. And that was the very first one. And that was relocated to Darsbury. But I seem to remember when they brought it, they sold it to us by saying, Greenfields is going to be brilliant for all the villages like Hatton and Carsbury and Stockton Heath and Liam because of the amount of money that will come into the area. Has that worked? 
Well, I don't know about Hatton or Walton, but not for Stocks and no. I can't even imagine it's happened in Hatton. Well, I thought they were busy at the Hatton Arms. Well... With all the crew and everything. They, uh, I can't remember now, to be honest. I'm guessing they still do B&B. I'm not entirely sure. I'll have to check that. You better ask in Tony in here, because he'll tell you. How many customers, extra customers, he'll get, get none, will he? I think he'll get less than no extra customers. I don't think it makes any difference to the area at all. Because it's not even Warrington Council, is it? As far as I know, it's Halton. Halton Borough Council. Shall I show my naivety and say I don't even know where Halton is? Is that Runcorn? Runcorn, no. Runcorn Witness. Is that Witness as well? All right. You'd better ask him Tony, because Tony will know if it makes any difference, because he's a, a landlord in, in Saxony. And I bet any money you ask him, he'll say, making a, and, it, and if it might even have a negative impact, because a lot of the younger people who go to the festival won't be drinking in his pub. Well, I'm trying to think previous years, if I've ever come down into Stockton whether I've noticed when the festival's on, whether I've noticed any revellers. I can't imagine, if you're paying 200 quid for the weekend, 75 or 80 or whatever for one night, but I don't think you can camp, if you spend a couple of nights there, you're talking 200 plus, and it goes as an escalation of where you get a silver package or a bronze package or something like that. If you're paying 250 quid, why would you come out at night and go to a local pub? It ain't gonna happen, is it? Why would you come out and go to a local Sainsbury's? It isn't gonna happen. There's shops and all sorts. At the festival, I guess. I've never been, but I imagine there is. There are with other festivals. Well, there's food stalls and isn't such it? like. And but you wouldn't need anyway, that, you can't would you? take you can't take drink into site anyway. You've got to buy it on site. You can't drink, take drink in. You can't take food in unless you're camping. So even the local um, off licenses, the ones that are left, aren't going to benefit are they? They're not going to come to the pubs because they can drink on site. So there you go. Do you make any money extra when Greenfield is off? Not significantly. Not enough for me to go. That's made a massive difference in my till. No, the travel in and the travel out. There's no in between. There's a, an amount of people who live in Stottsmouth and live in Warrington that will, when they've finished the festival, perhaps have a sort of debrief after the festival in a pub have a few beers, but not not any more than you normally would have. Before, you're going to get nothing because they want to get in there, they want to start, they want to go to the festival. During, they're obviously confined into where they are, and then after, the job is to get everybody away as quick as they can, so there's minimal disruption to traffic, people, housing, residents, everything. However, when you've got people who live in and around Warrington, they've done them, they, they walk away, but whilst they're on the way home, they might go, let's have a pint, but not a lot. Not a lot.
Although not one of them myself, some people argue that a DJ in a field playing CDs of other people's songs is not real music. As I say, I don't necessarily agree with that. It's too simplistic a view of what dance music is. Nevertheless, I do understand their view. Those people that have that view prefer their music to be more real or organic, shall we say. Now, kind of connected to that thought, last week I talked to Tom Rogers. You'll probably know him. He's the owner of Stockton Heath's upmarket restaurant, Tom at 101. I describe it as a restaurant because essentially that's what Tom at 101 is. But it's actually more than that. Tom is one of the few restaurant owners that encourages local musicians to play in his late lounge pretty much every night of the week. As I say, I had a quick chat with Tom in his restaurant last week about another passion of his. In fact, another natural passion. I don't know if you know, but Tom makes honey too and sells it in his restaurant. Really, go in and buy some. You've got to try it. It's just divine. And like Tom's policy on music in his restaurant, his honey is real. It's natural. It's organic. In fact, I did a little marketing tweet for him last week. Ladies, fed up with fakes and want a real honey? Try this for the best organic you've ever had. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Terrible. Anyway, we talked for a few minutes about bees and honey, and it made me realise I know very little about the process. So, have a quick listen. Here's Tom explaining the process to an idiot like me. Tell me about Tom's Cheshire honey, because I know a bit about honey making only through to father-in-law, but I don't know anything about yours. I know it's organic. What's the process? You've got a million bees, no doubt. No, I've got three hives. How many's in a hive? Because I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know what's in the hive. Peak, which is probably July, 85,000 bees in one hive. You have to name them all. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Pete, how do you come? <laughs> so you've got that many bees, three hives, and they're Cheshire based, aren't they? They're yeah, yeah, they're local, one so they're foraging locally. You then nick their honey. I don't know the process. I should know, but I don't know the process. Basically, they're collecting honey for their winter food store. For their uh, queen? No, no, for the colony's winter food store. Right, OK. What you're hoping is they'll produce excess. Do they not die out over winter, then? No. Die. They reduce in size to probably a colony of 10,000 from 85,000. So now the queen won't be laying as much. And the reason you've got sort of 85,000 bees in the hive during the summer when they're busy, really busy foraging, a bee will live for six weeks. September time, roughly, she'll start laying for the winter bees and the winter bee has to live for six months. So it sees the colony through till the spring. That is really going to make me seem naive, that, because I just assumed they all died out in the winter. No. Is that a common misconception or is that just me who thinks that? Probably just you. It must be, yeah. <laughs> it must be. I bet if I ask people, you know, how long do bees last, I'll probably get the same reply. Honest to God, I thought that they died out. No, no, no. And I've got three colonies and they've all got different personalities. Really? Believe it or not, yeah. I've got one that gets up late, looks as though they've been smoking cannabis all night, <laughs> dead chilled out, not really bothered about collecting too much. <laughs> so that's one of them. Right. Which ideally I'm going to put a new queen in there at some point, maybe next year. Then I've got another one that, you know, they work hard, yeah. average grafters. Do you know, I thought, again, I just thought they would all be the same. No, 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 no. I mean, it's like the one that's dead laid back as they've been smoking weed. You go in there and you're not going to get stung. You could wear your underpants and do it. Right. The second one I've got, a <laughs> bit more feisty, 
you know you go in there it's you know they're flying about and all the rest of it and they collect a reasonable amount of honey then i've got the third one which when you go into those very aggressive and it's what the do you want and they're at you but that hive collects 70 percent of the honey that i produce one hive are those three we're, hives pretty much located together? Or yeah, yeah, they? next to each other. We're not like one no, no, the field next to, to each other. But that hive, I've had 70 kilos of honey off it so far this year. When does that start? It's all down to weather. You know, it's highly likely some years you can get nothing. Yeah. And a lot of people do get nothing. But mine seem to be in a spot where there's lots of forage. And, you know, especially with the aggressive hive I've got, which is a bit naughty, they just collect for fun. So, you know, it's very, very interesting. But is it hard work? Because it always seems... You're in there once a week during the summer. Was it all? Yeah. I thought you'd be there every day. No, no, no. I suppose they just get on with it, don't they? Yeah, yeah. But you've got to keep an eye on them. You've got to manage them. You know, you don't you want them to avoid the hive swarming, all that sort of thing. So, you know, it's quite a complex thing to do, especially if you want to get some honey off it. So once you... I don't know what we call those square things you pull the cones. out. cones. So you pull those out, and that's not really honey at that point, is it? Or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you've it's got is seeds, you've got a brood box where the nest is, and then you have an excluder so the queen can't get through, so it's a queen excluder. So then you have two few boxes above that, which are called supers, yeah. and that's what they'll store the honey in. Those are the things you lift off the yeah. top, aren't they? So basically, they're bringing the nectar. Then they reduce the moisture content in the nectar, and when they've done that, they'll cap it. And when they've capped it, that is then honey. How do they reduce the moisture content? By drinking? No, no, by literally all the bees in the hive over the night time fanning away. Really? You sit next to my hive when it's been on the case, and you'll just hear a big humming noise. Is that what they're doing, getting rid of the moisture? Yeah. Wow. Ventilating the hive to reduce moisture content so they can cap it with the wax cappings, and that's what you usually see on a picture. Of. Now, I know you obviously you create the honey. You don't do anything who use the wax to make candles and all that No, sort no, of no, I haven't got time for that. bothered with that, no. Some people eat the wax and can't eat it, surely not. You can I've eat the honeycomb, yeah. If you produce honeycomb, you know, you can buy honeycomb, which yeah. is the comb I've been cart. offered that in the past, oh, do you want some of the honeycomb? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, and yeah. you can eat Go it. Go for it, it. Oh, yeah. Right, oh, I'll give it a whirl then. I mean, how do you get that? I don't understand the process. Well, you, you, take, the... you take you take the super off. And how does it you, get You've to got your capped honeycombs. Yeah. Take the cappings off. Most people do it with a knife or a capping fork. Yeah. I like to do it quite quickly, so I use a wallpaper stripper. You know, the heat, sorry, the heat guns. Yeah. I use one of those to, you know, paint stripper. Oh, yeah, no. To, to yeah. melt the cappings. Yeah. Put it in a bucket, which you put four combs in there. You spin it by hand, or if you're posh, you've got an electric one. Spin it, spins the honey out. You strain it through a coarse strainer, fine strainer, and then you jar it. Does that take long, straining it? No. It just drips through, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it literally is that, once that's strained. Yeah, it's in, it's in straight in the jar. But you do the spinning by hand? Yeah, yeah. But then each lot I take off tastes different. So the honey that I took off at the end of June, which is a spring honey, everything's been foraging on the blossom. I was just going to say, is it the early plants because of the etc. etc. Et yeah, because of the plants foraging on. Whereas the last lot I took off, which was the end of July, tasted peppermint. Well, that last jar that you gave me, it was absolutely fabulous, and I found it a very delicate. Yeah, now, that, so was that, that was off. Spring? No, that was last autumn. That was off Himalayan balsam, which flowers until the last frosts. So usually a lot of beekeepers now, there's no forage for the bees because everything's gone past. But if you're near Himalayan balsam, they'll carry on foraging until... I don't know what Himalayan balsam is. What is that? It grows near... It's an invasive species. Oh. It grows near water. So obviously I'm near the canal, I'm near water. It's So they're on it. 
so I'll get another crop easily. And then uh, from the end of June to the first week of August, the honey I took off then, which was another 43 kilos, taste of peppermint. And if you look it up, they've been foraging on the lime trees, and there's a load of those near me. So lime tree honey, taste of mint. It doesn't go off, but it goes cloudy, doesn't it? Uh, Why does it do that? Over, well, it, to, over a long period of time. Why does it, it depends where it's. You know, if you a lot of people go for uh, what's that yellow stuff that grows in fields early doors? Oh, rapeseed. Right, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, that if you put your bees to rapeseed, you have to get it out of the hive within a week because it just sets rock hard. Right. So some will set hard, some will stay liquid. All depends what they've been foraging on. I mean, we've had honey at home, and I might leave it for a few weeks, and then when I go back to it, it's gone cloudy. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to crystallise, right. starting to set. But you just heat it up, don't. Yeah, and it's fine again. 35 degrees, warm water, and it was, once you've done that, stay liquid. I prefer the runny honey, but some people prefer it set. Since I started keeping bees, I've not eaten sugar. You know, if I have a cup of coffee, teaspoon yeah. of honey in it, if yeah. I make something, that's a natural product. It's something that can't be made by us. I enjoyed that chat with Tom. He's a good guy. As you noticed, he even politely laughed at my terrible jokes. Anyway, do call in to Tom at 101 anytime you want great food, great music, or even great honey. Now, the reason I was in Tom's last Monday lunchtime, prior to him opening up to the public, was because I'd been asked by another nice guy called Ash to meet up with him for a chat about his new website based on Stockton Heath. I don't know if you've seen it, it's called So Stockton Heath, and is the latest in a line of the So franchise. So Stockton Heath is a new community website that has been recently launched to promote the village. I'll let Ash explain further as I play you our conversation. Because I don't know anything about it other than it's So Stockton Heath. Yeah. And you've got a partner one. And I'm trying to think, is it So Hale or something? What we've got is we've got around about five to six titles under the So brand uh, based around the northwest, mainly Cheshire. We've got ourselves, So Stockton Heath. We're one of the newer people to come on board. And we're a team of five at the moment. Then you've got So Hale, which you've already mentioned. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, which, yet again, is run by uh, Mark Jackson and his wife mainly. And they've been going around now for about uh, six months, I think they've been. Uh, but then we've got So Cheshire, So Nutsford. Is it owned by one company or one yeah, person? Yeah, it's owned by a company that called Local Editor. Awesome. Local Editor of the main company. And what they've done is they've spent quite a few thousands of pounds developing this new software which is sort of supported by the internet and it's just really a content management system designed for people who want to run magazines or newspapers online what's it called again the software the main company the parent company is called local editor that's run by a gentleman called john haynes and his technical director who's Stephen Wood. Because I saw, when I looked at your site, and it said at the bottom of the page that it's powered by something or other, so that'll, yeah. that'll be the software, won't it? That's correct, yeah. It's, it's powered by Press Glue. In a nutshell, it's just a content management system designed to power online magazines like myself. It looks quite a good system. Yeah, it's really easy to use. That's the one thing about it is it's designed. How do they make money out of that? Because it's free. They make money from people subscribing to the software, and I think, yet again, through advertisement. I mean, local editor have spent thousands developing it. 
and it's a little bit like other content management systems for web use. So do local editor, they want to create lots of different SOAPs, as it were? Well, that's it, but they own the SO brand and yeah. currently they've got ourselves. We're a franchise of them. Then you've got So Hale, which is a franchise of that. So Cheshire, So Nutsford. We've even got So Marbella. And, yeah, so Altrincham has just come on board. And So Sale is also uh, coming on board very soon. I'm not too sure. The thing is, with every title, there's an initial franchise fee that everyone has to kind of pay and then try and earn it back through advertising. That's hard. It is, yeah. We did it, well, the thing is we did a pilot campaign with a couple of ads and we found that we were getting, four, we've got 4,000 clicks already yeah. and that's just in one month. And well, that's good. How quickly do you reckon it'll develop? Well, we're thinking it's already, it's already developed quite a bit. Between ourselves, so Stockton Heath, so Hale, so Cheshire and so Nutsford, this year we've had 340,000 individual IP addresses visit the websites. And because we've got all got each other, it's moving in it very quickly. And currently uh, what's unique to So Stockton Heath online magazine right now is we're doing um, a free directory listing. Uh, for all the businesses and it gives us a chance to have a talk, have a chat and get to know everyone yeah. around here. Does that mean you have to take time to go and see these businesses or can, can a business just do it by submitting it to you online? We've had a few people um, submit to us through Twitter and Facebook who have just come across the advert that we've put yeah. out. And then we've also rang a few companies here and there and asked them if they'd be interested to feature for free. And it just gives us an opportunity to make it people aware that we're here. Have you got a contact form that allows you to just fill it in? We haven't actually got any kind of like online form for that because it's a very simple thing right. really. But we well, I'm just thinking that it would negate the problem of people yeah, sending the information to you and then you getting back to them and saying, yeah, oh no, but we need this as well. If it's a particular yeah. form, then... Of course, of course. I mean, one, one thing would... I mean, I had one gentleman who simply Facebooked me his information right. and sent me a, a picture of his logo, a JPEG, and I, that was sufficient enough, really, right, yeah. to, to whack it up. It's whatever information people want up there. You know, some people want opening hours and we include opening hours if they wish you know it's just a very very easy thing i mean i suppose we could have an online contact form for that but it's i just, just think it saves you some time uh, well yeah i suppose it does but it gives me an opportunity to have a chat with everyone as well i suppose from your point of view it's it's much better to go and see people but is it because you know you've got to be traveling around all over the show yeah well it does give me an opportunity to catch up face to face with everybody like we've done today uh, it's a great opportunity to get about like this um the other thing is i do spend a lot of time talking to people on the telephone and emailing currently we're building up our readership and it's our readership that's getting us noticed around the area. And I'm just building that and building that and then... Have you set yourself a figure when I've got 10,000 subscribers, as it were? Yeah, well, currently, as it stands, we've got, you know, quite a lot of subscriptions to the website. And I was explaining to um, a couple of ladies in one of the shops, I think it was the, the kids' clothing shop there. We want it so, you know, people are just literally getting on their tablets, laptops, viewing the content, and we want to be providing them with fresh content. Is the content going to be specifically Stockton Heath? 
Yes, Stockton, Heath and the surrounding areas, which includes Appleton, Bolton. It's hard to come up with a lot of content. Yeah. Oh, well, there's lots of things going on all the time. For example, there was a fundraiser going on at the local primary school where they were raising money for Cancer Research UK. And that only happened last week. Um, was, uh, we had uh, another story where we posted up regarding the top five places to eat in Stockton Heath and also it's the purple flag and we were able to do a story on that. You don't want to do a print version of it. We may do something for people to you know have a goosey gander at uh, but we're trying to encourage people because it's hyper local news mm. and we're trying to encourage people to you know use their tablets and their kindles and their laptops in a fashion you know with, with the times now. And you also get guest contributors. So there might be a woman up the road up here and said, oh, I'd like to submit a story about that. So it saves you writing that content up. Yeah. She could submit it to you. I've already had someone inquire about that. Um, right. It sent me an email. Well, I did read it. It said you kept punctuating it here, there and everywhere with phrases like community website mm. or community magazine. I thought, well, is that is that what you're trying to do then? You're just providing a service. Yeah, it sounds bad, but we're almost like trying to sell a lifestyle. But we're not selling a lifestyle as such. We're just... You're just um, mirroring what's here. Yeah, in a, in a nutshell, we're just trying to, how can I say, a lot of our readers are people who are either residents, people who work here, or people who party or visit here. And we want to help them with what, give them a guidance of what's going on. At the same time, we're giving local businesses an opportunity to sell themselves to our readership, you know, to say, come to us, come and hang out at our place, or come and shop at our place, for example. That's what we're trying to do, and we're trying to create, always trying to become a virtual hub of readers, you know, of people who might be planning an evening out or even a day out shopping. We're expanding, and I think a lot of it is because we're working as a team, because we're all part of the same sort of, we're expanding very quickly, and I think if we were to do it, try to do it, anyone try to do it on their own, I think it wouldn't be as successful. In fact, there's a, a new franchise, another soap coming out, which is based in Australia. I don't know whether it's so Melbourne or... Oh, I've got a friend who's in Australia. That'll be yeah. of interest to him. Wow. Yeah, they've just recently bought uh, a franchise. Yeah, the thing is, Australia is really good because they're recruiting a lot of people from the UK. Yeah. You know, they tend to all relocate. I've got a friend who's actually relocating to Australia. Whereabouts? Uh, I'm not too sure, but she's uh, she headhunted her for her. Okay, that was Ash there from the new So Stockton Heath website. If you want to advertise your business with him, I'm sure Ash will be pleased to help you out. Anyway, I'm going to finish up here. You'll remember I started this podcast talking about how it's not really a radio station. Though, interestingly for me, only last weekend I was on the Tony Horn radio show, only for about 30 seconds or so, answering some questions for his Sunday quiz. <laughs> I didn't do very well. <laughs> if he could get less than zero out of five, I think I managed it. I'm sure you'll remember I spoke to Tony in a previous podcast as well. Do have a listen to his radio show on a Sunday morning on Wire FM. It covers the whole of the Warrington area. I dare say Tony's going to have something to say about Creamfields. Let's welcome to the Theatre of Entertainment this week's Muggins. It's the world-famous Mark. 
Yes. <laughs> Your size of the world is a lot larger than mine, then. So, um, maximum weekend for people going on holiday. They say that every weekend, but obviously, two, take two weeks today, you come back, you've got the August Bank holiday weekend, you don't have a panic on. Can you do the language? If I ask Mark here what his knowledge of foreign language is like, he'll probably say, what? Well, my knowledge of foreign language, crikey, as, an, as you know, my first language isn't even English. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've put five key current topical phrases-ish into Google <laughs> Translate, which has replaced the phrase book. But what are they saying? Here's number one. Turn it up. Ellen Skelton está vestindo demasiado ou demasiado pouco nos Jogos Olímpicos. Quite easy, that, I think. A couple of key <laughs> phrases in there. What do you think they're saying? Well, it sounded like my mate in the pub the other night. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> was that real? Yes, that was Portuguese, I'm afraid. We have to rush you for time. Is Helen Skelton wearing too much or too little at the Olympics? <laughs> was, was the question. Right. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Uh, this is a traditional a Cockney British phrase, very handy at all times. Deux pintes de lager et un paquet de chips, s'il vous plaît. Something to do with shoes, I think. Uh, here, one more time. Deux pintes de lager et un paquet de chips, s'il vous plaît. Sounds rude. Well, I was just about to say, I was going to change my mind. It isn't shoes, it was another word, but I'm not sure I can say Two it. pints of lager and a packet of crisps, please, <laughs> I'm afraid. Oh, right, right. Uh, next one, very topical for anybody going to France, you'll certainly need this phrase. Hat jemand in Frankreich tatsächlich arbeiten oder sind sie alle auf Streik? Any ideas? Yes, it's a brave mouse that built its nest in a rat's ear. Close. <laughs> <laughs> it's a German person saying, does anybody in France actually work or are they all on strike? <laughs> Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I'm doing well, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, well, we'd like all our callers to always get naught out of five, you see, because wrong answers are funnier than right ones. You might hear a key word in this. A key okay. topical word. Here we go. Did you hear it? I did hear it. It sounded like my little girl when she was one learning to talk. One more time. <laughs> did I pick up the word cognac? <laughs> no. Are you playing the, you're playing these in reverse, aren't you? Something like that. The the phrase was, "Do you know where the nearest Pokemon gym gym is?" But you heard cognac. Yeah. <laughs> I heard cognac. <laughs> and here's the last one. This is the last oh, one. This no. is this is Not Dutch. Here we go. Here we go. Girls, hit your Hallelujah. We have all town. Funkon geeft aan u want. Any ideas? <laughs> I've got a very clear idea what that is. If you play a Black Sabbath record backwards, that's what that sounds like. It's the devil. The one the that devil. goes, girls hit you hallelujah woo, girls hit you hallelujah woo, girls hit you hallelujah woo, because oh, uptown folk gonna anything. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of music, I'm going to finish up here, and I'm going to leave you with the news that my one-man band, the Can't Count Trio, have split up and will be performing together from now on. Okay, I'll see you then. Honey.